Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. We're joined by one of the top sports agents in the country, Peter Schaefer. His uh, roster of clients is extremely impressive. He's got a bunch of NFL Hall of Famers. He represents a number of NFL GMs and head coaches, as well as some national media members. And he's coming to us from his home in Denver, Colorado. Peter, welcome. Thank you very much. Appreciate y'all having me on. Uh, Before we get into the meat of the matter and the adversity you have had to work through uh, over the last few years, let's talk about your roster of clients, as I mentioned. What was the most important element for you in building that business, sports agency? Well, you know, know, it's interesting. I think when I started out in the late 80s, really the agent was just someone who would negotiate a contract. You would talk to him every two or three years. A uh, new contract would get done. And what we try to do is create the situation where we developed a relationship. We were sort of helping the player in every step of their career, not just on the field, not just in the negotiations, but helping them with philanthropic opportunities, families, budgeting, uh, investing money, saving money, uh, being a good person. And so we sort of, you know, developed a relationship with the players that was, you know, at the time sort of unique to the industry. And you really do treat these guys and gals who you represent like family, don't you? That that helped a lot, didn't it? Well, I, I was brought up in a real small town in upstate New York, and that's sort of the way we were brought up. Everything was family. You know, in our house, we never had a key to our house. Uh, if you know you're playing uh, football outside, and mom rang the cowbell, whoever was playing football just came in, and mom just put extra plates out, out at the dinner table. So it was just a huge extended family in a small town. How, how does one, because I'm asked this all the time, hey, I want to be a sports agent. Everybody who goes to law school, I'm going to be a sports agent. How did you become an agent? I uh, had graduated from law school and I uh, had moved out to Colorado. And, you know, when you're 23 years old or whatever, it's a lot easier to live on macaroni and cheese and hot dogs every day of the week and, and, and really just grind 24 hours a day because you don't have a family. And that's really what it takes. You have to be – on call 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. A lot of people, like you say, Vic, want to be a sports agent, but are they willing really to put in the time, the effort? And it's 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 just a constant grind. I mean, I'm not complaining because I love it, but it, you have to be prepared for that type of uh, effort. Did you start there, though, or were you just an, an everyday lawyer before you sort of moved to that arena? I, I, I was an everyday lawyer for about a year, doing litigation with the oldest law firm here in Denver. And, you know, it's actually it was a great – a base for, for what you have to do as an agent. Cause like I said, it's not just negotiating contracts. You do have to do wills, estates, litigation. And so everything that I had learned in the practice of law and at law school, you know, I, I use in, in my daily work life here still 30 years later. Of all the uh, agent shows, movies we've seen, okay. Over the course of the years, Jerry Maguire to, to what the rock shows all about, Wh- which one is closest to reality? Oh, you know, I, I don't think any of them are because what you see in those shows is about like 5% of what we do. The, the reason that you don't see the other 95% is because it's just incredibly mundane and it's routine or, or it, it certainly wouldn't make for great television. And so, 
you know, they, they all have elements of truth to them. Uh, you know, Arliss was very, incredibly funny. You know, Rod Wall is a very talented actor. And, but even uh, Entourage, you know, that was my favorite. I, I really thought that, that that depicted, you know, the whole scene of not just the athlete, but the people around him, the other people that you have to deal with in the profession. Were you, were you Ari Gold? No, no, I was probably more like turtle, I guess. <laughs> uh, Peter, um, you have had to work over the last few years through some um, tremendous personal trauma. To me, as a, as a father, this is this is heartbreaking for me. I, I can't even imagine what you've been going through. You have a son and a daughter, um, both still teenagers, correct? Uh, Lillian's 20 now. Uh, Lillian's 20. Gavin, your son, is 16, 16 years old. Um, and both have been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, It's a very odd situation, first of all, isn't it, that both kids at that age would be diagnosed like that? Obviously it is, and and, you say it's tremendously personal, but it's even worse, obviously, for the two of them and and my wife who deal with it, and of course, both of you being cancer uh, survivors also, you, you understand it, but if you Google and try to Google Hodgkin's lymphoma and siblings, there are not a lot of stories that two two siblings have had the same type of cancer. Lillian was stage 2B and Gavin was stage 4. Well, let's work in um, chronological order here because, you know, listen, um, I, I know you personally. I, I, I know the story, but I want folks to understand how, how this hits you uh, with a left hook and then a right hook uh, a couple years later. Let, let's go back to Lily. You, you guys are, you're nursing her. She's got some issues with a what, what was she was itching? Is that is that what it was? She was itching all the time, and you couldn't figure out why was she so itchy at night. And then one thing led to another, and she was diagnosed. How did that all break down? Well, well she had for six months. She's a, a pretty talented equestrian, and so she it was during the summer, and it was very hot, and so she had this full body itching, but there were no rashes, nothing outward. It was all internal itching, and of course, so she went to a the dermatologist and. And the allergists, they thought maybe it was a hay fever from the horses or maybe it was the dirt from the, the horse shows. And it just kept going on and on and on, you know, doctor to doctor. My wife kept taking her around to everybody. And, I mean, they even thought it was psychosomatic and had her go see a psychiatrist. Um, and then finally, uh, Allison took her to Children's Hospital and they did some blood tests. And it was a Thursday. I remember I was coaching Gavin's hockey team and I got a phone call from Allison. You got to come home. We just got a call from the uh, children's hospital. We have to meet with the oncologist tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. And that's certainly not the phone call you ever want to get as a parent. So how many weeks, months went by with all these doctor's visits? Cause I remember talking to you, Oh, something's wrong with Lily. We, you know, we got some issues. Cause as a parent, listen, we all have kids who complain of ailments and you're like, yeah, okay. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. How, how much time went by before you got to that oncologist? It was six months, but, you know, oh first of all, you, you always think that it, it can't be that serious. And, of course, and every one of your friends has an answer or a doctor or some type of remedy. So you get a lot of you get a, a lot of unsolicited advice. That's for sure. So where do things stand with Lily right now? Lillian is in remission. So she finished treatment in July of 18. And then you have PET scans, as you two know, every three months for two years. And once you get past the two years with Hodgkin's, then they consider you in remission. So she goes through this whole process. And I remember it because she had a lot of support and she was so strong. You know, she spoke at several public functions. She gets through this thing 
And then last February, Peter, I remember talking to you and you said to me, gosh, you know, something's going on with Gavin. Gavin at the time was 15, your son. He had lost a lot of weight. And you and, and Allison, your wife, were really worried about the weight loss. What was going through your mind at that point? Well, that was at the start of COVID. So you're talking about late February, early March. And he's a lacrosse player. He's 6'1", 195 pounds. And he wasn't eating, and he had these fevers. And he, he's a great cook, so he loves to eat. So him not eating was sort of uh, curious or, or concerning for sure. But, it, you know, COVID is starting. And so you hear all these stories. You're like, all right, he must have COVID. But at the beginning of COVID, at the beginning of March, they weren't testing 15-year-old otherwise healthy males that were not having respiratory distress. And so we couldn't get a COVID test. And it was only because Allison sort of, you know, jumped up and down and screamed and hollered and said that, you know, his sister has a compromised immune system. We need to get a test. But finally, after a couple of weeks, they gave her a test. Now, he didn't have any of the blood markers that Lillian had. So they were like, well, it's got to be COVID. Because, of course, nobody knew what really COVID was or what the symptoms were back then. This is COVID infancy. And then the test comes back negative. So then another two weeks combined, I think he has a viral infection. They give him some antibiotics. And that actually gave him some relief. And then about early May, he woke up one morning just in a pool of uh, sweat. And they call it night sweats. And that's when um, the doctors say, well, why don't we give him a biopsy to rule out cancer? You know, and I was like, there's no, no way. My wife still sort of gives me grief because I'm like, you sure we really need to do a biopsy, a bone marrow biopsy? And there's just no way that it could be cancer. Never suspicious that it, it was the same thing that Lillian had? Well, he and I had gone to the pediatrician and we told her all about it. And they ran all her markers, all her the blood markers, and none of the markers were the same as Lillian's. Lillian's white cells were off the charts and her LDH was off the charts and all these all these acronyms that I never knew existed were off the charts and Gavin's weren't, his were just straight down the middle. And so they had tested all this stuff and, and none of it uh, lit up like millions did. So we were like, it's gotta be something else. And so he had that um, bone marrow biopsy on a Thursday, but as opposed to Lillian, who's already in the hospital, we, we came home and the weekend went by and you know, Monday came and we thought Monday had gone. So I was like, shoot, it must be good because they haven't called us. And then I came downstairs at five o'clock on that Monday to take Gavin and his buddy to lacrosse practice. Uh, Cause I coach his team and Allison was on the phone and, you know, she was pale as a, as a ghost because she was on the phone with the oncologist. So you were told that your 15 year old son has the exact same cancer diagnosis uh, to a different extreme, obviously than your daughter who just battled that a couple years earlier. What did the doctors tell you, Peter? What are the, odds of two siblings having the same disease uh they well they didn't give us any odds or or any numbers they don't they don't seem to do that um they were just like let's sort of and at the time you're not wondering about that you're like All right, you know it's after it hits you like what do they say about everybody's got a plan until fighting mike tyson until you get hit in the mouth well then you hit in the mouth and then the plan's out the window and now you got to deal with it and so the first thing we had to do is we had to tell gavin which is Something you never want to have to do. Peter, um, did the two kids bond over this? Were they close before? Did they bond? Uh, they, they've had, always had a unique relationship, and Gavin worships his big sister. And so the night before um, his treatment started, 
she went into his room on her own and they you know, sort of went through the whole, she told him what was going to happen to not to worry. It's not as bad as, you know, the stories you hear, you can handle it. And he asked her some questions and said, you know, sort of, I would think a very unique and, and, and positive and great sibling meeting. Of course, she made it very clear, you know, Gavin's this big, you know, 6'1", 195 pound burly dude. And Lillian's about 5'5", five, five and a 98 pounds soaking wet. But she made it very clear to him that she never threw up there in chemo. And he better not. <laughs> the, the, the gauntlet was set. He, he was given no alternative. Well, they're such tough kids, and I've gotten to know both of them. And the fact that they're going through this at this age is amazing, to say the least. Well, and and, and Gavin is playing lacrosse throughout his chemo treatments. Yeah, it, yeah I was going to say, I mean, he's playing in actual games, going to practice, doing what – he hasn't skipped a beat. I mean, how astonishing is that? Well, I think, well, the, the doctors and the nurses are astonished. But, you know, I think that he really feels that it, it – it gives them energy. It, it, it's very important, you know, unless you know, as you get the chemo, it's very easy to sit there on the couch and feel sorry for yourself and feel like crap. But he just thinks getting out in the sun, getting out with his buddies, running around, getting the blood flowing is a lot healthier than just sitting around, you know, feeling sorry for yourself. So he has dragged himself out many times when, you know, most kids wouldn't, most people wouldn't. And he, he does, you know, sometimes afterwards practice, he doesn't feel good. But, you know, I think he felt it was worth, you know, worth the trade-off. Peter, when you are hit with the cancer diagnosis, we've all been there. You start to ask the question, how, what, you know, why? I mean, Les Shapiro never smoked in his life. He's got lung cancer. I didn't have a single symptom. I got prostate cancer. Your kids were hit with the same cancer out of the blue. How many times have you thought of how and why? Where, where did this come from? Is, is it something in the house? Is it something? Where does your mind go when they told you this? You do ask yourself, you know, what did we do wrong? Um, you know, we tested the house radon. The doctors say that Hodgkin's is, is non-environmental. So then, of course, you know, then it must be some crazy gene between my wife and myself. And then, you know, Children's Hospital wanted to test us for DNA. And we said, well, what would that show? And, they said, you know, because... I can assure you we are not having more children. That's out. So, you know, you wonder all this. We, you know, we would like to use whatever DNA or whatever it is to help other kids so that, you know, maybe they can find either a way to prevent it or a way to cure it. That's for sure. But there is a period of time you sit there and say, you know, like you guys, you know, why me? What do we do? But, you know, and I remember talking to Les at a charity golf tournament. I said, you know, you have to look at it this way. I, I would trade places with either one of them in a heartbeat. They could put it in me and let, let me deal with it. You know, just it's very hard watching your kids have to deal with this at, the, at that age. You'd much rather just be thrown into my body and, and have to deal. Let's talk about how you and your wife are dealing with it. Um, first of all, how are you maintaining focus uh, while running this super agency, this super sports agency? Are, are you able to compartmentalize? Does it creep into your mind? How have you and your wife dealt with this have there been a lot of nights where you you're, you're laying in bed next to each other and and you're crying i hate to i hate to try and pull that from you but but tell me how you've been able to to get through it well i don't know you, you definitely it's hard but you you know as a father and a mother you, you know in front of the kids you always you, you can't show that type of emotion everything's always been positive and allison for you know for three straight years she's done a great job of making sure every meal is special for, for both of them, 
you know, it, you know, it's their favorite food. There's a flower, a plant, you know, some on the table. You know, everything is, is special. And um, at the same time, you know, you, you, you want to let them handle their own journey. And they've been different kids. Lillian was much more, she was stoic. You can never tell. She had a poker face the whole time. And Gavin's been more more open with it. And it's been interesting to see, but they both are, you know, they, they both, you can tell, feel that when other people are around, they want those people to be comfortable with them in the presence. They never want anybody to feel sorry for them, which is sort of a unique deal. You never think that your, uh, your own progeny, your own kids, would serve as an inspiration to you, but how have they inspired you and your wife? Well, you certainly, if you get a headache or you have a bad day, you certainly have to keep things and helps you keep things in perspective. The other thing that keeps things in perspective Vic, is walking that seventh floor at children's house. Mm -hmm. And it's a little different perspective as it is, you know, if you go to your pediatrician with your kids, you know, and you go to the pediatrician, some kids got the flu and some kids got a, a splinter and some kids just getting a physical for their, you know, school sports. Everybody in that seventh floor has cancer. All those kids do. And a lot of them have it a lot worse than, than our kids did. And, you know, you walk past those the, the infusion rooms and, and you hear the hum of the, the chemo and you see these kids and it keeps everything in perspective. You can't have a bad day when, you know, these kids are having bad day after bad day after bad day. And you know, that's sort of, the, you know, what sort of has motivated Gavin, and I know it's probably the segue, but to work for the Headstrong Foundation. Because we're, we're fortunate enough here in Colorado to have Children's Hospital here, which is the greatest pediatric oncology unit west of Mississippi. But we're also this oasis. And so when you go to the Children's Hospital, they're kids from South Dakota and West, you know, in, in Utah and Western Kansas and all, you know, coming 8, 10, 12, 15 hours. And what the Headstrong does is that they're buying houses and putting them next to the hospitals so the families can stay here, you know, where we can commute for, for treatments and for labs and examinations these guys are coming 10 12 hours and maybe sometimes have to stay seven days sometimes they're staying two weeks three weeks four, four weeks and to be in a very safe place that feels like home is very important peter out of curiosity have any of your clients rallied around you and allison oh uh, they all have they, they've been great um you know shoot they they, they they put pictures on their um cleats uh stickers on their helmets t-shirts uh, they, you know, donated money to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. They've been at parties. They, they shoot a lot of them. You know, some Steve Atwater uh, and Trevor Baptiste Lacrosse player have gone to chemo with Gavin. Sat there with him for six hours. A couple of them play Xbox with them until way too long in the morning. Two, three. It's probably not good for either one of them, but they love. You know, Gavin and Joe Mixon or Gavin and Randy Gregory, the Cowboys or. Rayshon Jenkins, the Chargers, are playing Xbox together all night. The, the, the character in some of these players is amazing. And I just I want to pinpoint Steve Atwater. Not that he's more special than the rest of them, but here's a Hall of Famer. And I, I've, I've known Peter's family. And every time I visit the hospital, I visit you, there's Steve and his family. Always. The, 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 the beauty of that man knows no boundaries. Nope. It really doesn't. And and I, I don't know if you can make this up or not, but they've gone beyond. What about the coach? Uh, who's the coach that keeps sending those messages to you via FaceTime that had his own bat with cancer? Coach Pagano. Yes. From Boulder. Yes. Defense coordinator, the uh, Bears, former head coach, the Colts. He had 
a blood cancer um, when he was head coach of the Colts, and he, he was impatient for weeks because of the uh, threat of uh, infection because of his immune system. And he's been great. He sends videos. He FaceTimes with, with both of them. Uh, he's going to join Gavin on the Headstrong Foundation, all that stuff. He, he's fantastic. He, always positive, and he, he, you know, he knows the score a lot more than I because he's actually had team. I have. When we come back, we'll be rejoined by Peter Schaefer, as well as the doctor who took care of Gavin and Lillian, Dr. Brian Greffy. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You know, Les, when I got hit with prostate cancer, it's the first place I turned to because I know the Anschutz Campus, they really delve into breakthrough technology. If there's something new on the horizon, I know they've got it. And I was hit with lung cancer, and that's where I get treated as well, at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. They've got me up and running. They've made me unstoppable. Less they've made us unstoppable, and they're located right here in the heart of the Rocky Mountain region. We are back with Dr. Brian Greffy. He is the pediatric oncologist and medical director of the Hope Clinic at the Children's Hospital at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Uh, Dr. Greffy has treated both of Peter Schaefer's kids, Lillian and Gavin, for their Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer at Children's. So thank you, Peter, for making the introduction to Dr. Greffy. And Dr. Greffy, thank you for joining us on the call as well. My pleasure. So Dr. Greffy, um, since we last visited with Peter, Gavin finished up his chemo treatments, and got some scans. How did that all turn out? It turned out great. He had a total of six cycles of chemotherapy, and after the first two cycles of chemotherapy, had basically almost a complete response, which is which was wonderful news. Um, so his scans look great, and now he's just in follow-up. Uh, I'll be seeing him for the first year every three months for an exam, labs, and scans. Tell me how you got involved with the Schaefer family. How and when did you first get them as patients? So I met Lily first. Um, she became my patient several years ago, um, and she successfully completed her therapy as well and has been, been doing very well um, as uh, an off-therapy patient. Then I got a call from a pediatrician um, regarding Gavin and his symptoms, and um, we decided to see him in the, in the clinic to do some scans, of course, and also some lab work and an exam, and it turned out that he too had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, both were teenagers when they were diagnosed. Correct. Is, is this rare cancer for teenagers? No, it's not rare at all. In fact, we usually do see it in, in adolescents and young adults. Doctor, the symptoms we saw in Lillian and Gavin, are they normal symptoms you would see in, in teenagers or is it all over the board? Um, in Gavin's case, normal. In Lily's case, no. Severe itching is, is relatively rare. Um, it's seen mainly in older adults with Hodgkin's lymphoma. But I think the, the biggest symptom is usually in a large lymph node um, or uh, issues with breathing if the lymph nodes are within the chest. Um, and that's followed then by what we call B symptoms, which are fever, weight loss, and night sweats. Um, and so th the disease is staged based on the extent of the lymph nodes that are seen, the enlarged lymph nodes in the body, plus the B symptoms. How difficult, this is, this is a difficult question to ask, um, and, and Peter, if you wouldn't mind chiming in here as well, but doctor, how difficult is it to tell a child and the child's parents that they have cancer? 
You know, I've been doing this for 31 years. And so I certainly um, make sure that we're in an environment that's comfortable and, and involve the care team, if, if the, the extended care team if possible, which would mean the nurse, the social worker that will be involved with the family and this and really be honest with the with the uh, with the patient and family. You, you know, Les, with, with two children, um, with Lillian, she was at the hospital when Dr. Greffy came in with the, the entire staff. And, you know, it still hits you like a, a ton of bricks or a two by four behind, you know, over the head. In Gavin's case, though, because he had the biopsy on a Thursday, Dr. Greffy called my wife, Allison, and we had to tell him at home. And that was a different experience in of itself because we did not have the support of, like Dr. Greffy said, the social worker, even the doctor to, to be there. You know, he sort of came upstairs on his way to lacrosse practice and we had to sit him down. He had a couple of friends over at the time. So that both unique situations, both, you know, brutal to have to tell your kids that, but different situations. Um, tell me something about this disease that, that um, both the Schaefer children had. Is it hereditary? Is it environmental? Do we know anything about it yet? That's a really great question. Um, uh, there are cases of uh, family members, the members in the same family having Hodgkin's lymphoma, but it's, it's rare. Um, it's, a, it's a very curable disease. And um, our, we have just gotten better and better at treating the, the Hodgkin's lymphoma in terms of increasing the cure rate. You know, the one thing, Les, that, you know, we've been able to find out, and a lot through Dr. Greffy and, and his incredible staff, is that there's two things that, you know, we can do is one, to try to, you know, alert or make more awareness to the symptoms so that, you know, they can be caught earlier. And then, you know, in Gavin's case, and I'm sure Dr. Greffy can explain it, even in the three years since Lillian has had it and Gavin, the treatments are getting, you know, better. They're, they're, they're less, you know, damaging to the, the child. Like Gavin did not need radiation. And that's just a new protocol that all the research is coming up with and the studies so that, you know, there's less chance of secondary cancer later in his life. But that, that's all through Dr. Greffy and, 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 and children's and other hospitals. Yeah, let's expound on that a little bit, doctor. Where, where is the research going? Where is the treatment going for Hodgkin's and other cancers? Any breakthrough work being done at Children's? I think one of the big things is what Peter mentioned is the radiation therapy. We used to um, radiate, the Gavin had stage 4B Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is kind of the, the most, not most difficult to treat, but it's kind of, it's, it's at the very top in terms of its severity. Um, and the fact that with this new research coming out, that patients who have a dramatic response after the first two cycles of chemotherapy, which Gavin had, that it's, there's no need to give them radiation. And as Peter said, radiation, um, while it's, it's, it is helpful in Hodgkin's lymphoma, carries with it long-term issues like second malignancies, issues with the thyroid gland. And so if we can avoid radiation, um, because we know that these patients are going to grow up in, and lead you know, healthy lives as adults, but um, because as, as time goes by, the, um, the risk of having problems with radiation continues. It doesn't go away. So if we can avoid radiation, we really like to. Doctor, I've known uh, Peter Schaefer for a long, long time, and he is one unstoppable son of a gun. Um, I'm wondering, uh, his children, are they of the same nature, unstoppable? Absolutely. 
they were very courageous through everything. Um, Gavin in particular kind of lived his life the way he wanted to live it while he was getting therapy. He was playing lacrosse, um, multiple games over the weekend, and just kind of forged his way through therapy. And Lily did the same thing. Um, and um, just uh, very, very courageous uh, young people. Yeah, Gavin recently rang the warrior bell, didn't he? He did. He did. That's a big deal for um, for people, for our patients. And um, it really is. And we do something very special for um, for patients when they come off therapy. In addition to ringing the warrior bell, we make sure that as many staff as possible are there to 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 cheer them on. And then, of course, we we make a special cake for them. And it, it really is a big deal for us as well as it is for the patients and families. Yeah, I, I would imagine. Peter, how did you feel when Gavin rang that bell? Well, it's a different experience that, you know, a lot of people don't go because you walk from the examination room down the hall and it's sort of like the whole journey, the examination room where, you know, the diagnosis was made. And then you walk by a lot of, you know, children still getting chemo. So it's like the whole journey of diagnosis, children in the same boat that Gavin was in four or five, six months ago, or Lillian was in two years ago. And then you go to the bell and they sort of surprise you because the whole staff is lined up there, you know, and, and everybody's cheering. And I remember when Gavin had the first day of chemo, we heard someone ring the bell that day. And we took that to be a great omen. And, uh, you know, that, okay, he, first day of chemo, we hear the, the down the hall, you don't see it. You just hear it and you hear the cheering. And that we took to be a good omen. But what you also said, Les, about, you know, the kids carrying on with their lives, you know, we owe a lot of that to Dr. Greffy and the staff because they encouraged it. You know, my wife would always say, is it safe? Is it safe? Should you get beat up by sticks? And, and Dr. Greffy was always say, you know, if you're wearing pads, because I, I do believe that it helped them with the treatment to have normal lives, to exercise. I really think that Gavin exercised every day. And that does help. You know, you're going through your own, uh, Dr. Greffy, Les is uh, lung cancer right now. So he's sort of in the same boat as the kids were. But, you know, I really think that, you know, the body responds better, you know, if it believes it's being cured if it believes you're exercising and it's good for the attitude. And and doctor, as I mentioned before, you're the medical director of the Hope Clinic, and and that stands for Helping Oncology Patients Excel. It was started in 1987, one of the first in the nation, and it helps childhood cancer and bone marrow transplantation survivors live fuller and healthier lives. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Hope does? Yes. So it's a multidisciplinary clinic, and the patient's see uh, patients and families see four to five providers, depending on what they received um, in terms of therapy. So um, everyone sees a pediatric oncologist or oncology provider, uh, nurse educator, dietitian, social worker, or psychologist. And if they got radiation therapy, they would see a, the radiation oncologist. It, it's, it's a very positive thing. It's like you've survived cancer. We don't expect your cancer to come back, but this is how you can lead the, the, a healthy life going forward. Um, and we also started in, in 2008, um, another clinic for adult survivors of pediatric cancer called Tactic. And it too is a multidisciplinary clinic, but we don't hold it at Children's like we do Hope. We hold it across the street at Anschutz um, in their outpatient pavilion. And again, it's um, internist, pediatric oncologist, medical psychologist, and a nurse educator. Again, to talk about leading a healthy lifestyle and identifying potential late effects secondary to the therapy. Well, doctor, I really appreciate your time. Peter, as always, appreciates your time and, and telling us your story. And, um, you know, good luck to both of you. And, and, Peter, good luck to the kids as they move forward as well. Well, good luck to you, Les. You're in the foxhole with it, too, so just keep punching the bully in the nose. 
Yes, good luck to you, Les. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Dr. Greffy. Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You want more Unstoppable Stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable Podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. Subscribe today.